Welcome to another episode of a new podcast series at Sovereign Hope called Discipleship Discussions. And this is a series of discussions aimed to help you move towards a culture of discipleship by doing just that, helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. And so helping us today is John Saunders. Um, I met John in Michigan. We were both working in campus ministry. He was Spartan Christian Fellowship, and we quickly uh, stole your naming idea and novelly named us Grizzly Christian Fellowship. And now John and his family have moved uh, southeast from Lansing, Michigan, and now he is a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Detroit, um, a new church plant. Is that what it's called in the Presbyterian world? Um, John, good to see you. Sorry, I won't belabor <laughs> you with the questions, but welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thrilled, thrilled to be here. And uh, yes, church plant would be the right word, but this past fall, we actually ordained our first right. elders, which means we are no longer a church plant, but our word would be a particularized church in the Presbyterian church in America. So there you go. That, that rolls off the tongue with such stunning yes. softness. Uh, well, that is exciting. Congratulations. That's, that's cool. I know uh, it's been fun uh, to, to see. One of the privilege of living life in the COVID world is I see your little uh, video pop up on Sunday mornings um, showing us what life is like in your living room or back in the worship hall that you're currently meeting in. And so it's just encouraging to see God's word being proclaimed in different places and different contexts, but for the same end of glorifying God um, and saving the lost. So uh, I want to have a discussion today. You've got a lot of different contexts that you have served in um, at one as a Christian, as a husband, as a campus minister, as a pastor. Um, we have a, a, a functional definition of discipleship here at Sovereign Hope. Um, that is defined as this, helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. And so when you think of discipleship in your life, how do you define um, or have a philosophy of discipleship, not because it's important to have definitions, but because it delineates what is discipleship and what isn't discipleship? Yeah, great question. And, and really, your, your definition was very helpful, and it really gets to the heart of what Jesus says in Matthew 28, that we were to go and make disciples. And uh, the simple definition of discipleship in my mind has not been too fancy, but a disciple is just a student of Jesus. That's what the actual word means, a, a student, a, a pupil of Jesus. And as students of Jesus, one of the things that Jesus tells us is to be a student that you ought to go and make other students. And so my definition is very simple. It lines up exactly with what you just said, that as somebody that follows Jesus, we want to bring in others to help them follow Jesus. And now we can, in this conversation, really unpack what that looks like. But it's just living an intentional life where you're trying to help other people follow Jesus alongside of you. That's good. We actually, uh, I just finished earlier this morning. I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but this Sunday we're starting a new series in the book of Proverbs. And it's talking about wisdom in Proverbs chapter one. And it's interesting because it uses two um Two words in the Greek, it says that wisdom exists to do one. It, it is He's writing this proverb that you would receive instruction, but the next thing is that you would give yeah. prudence. Um, and so there is with this gospel wisdom that comes into our life, we receive it by grace, but the expectation is that we then turn and give it to others, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge yeah. and discretion to the young. And so that's all it is. It's it's reciprocating the good news of and the good transformation of the gospel in our own lives. So I have a question for you. When when did you get saved? Yeah, again, great question. So I was raised in mainline liberal churches most of my life. I was actually born in Kentucky, moved up to Michigan. Uh, my parents just 
for whatever reason, you know, we just joined the, the mainline church. It was a, a lovely, actually, ironically, was a, a liberal Presbyterian church. Beautiful church. I mean, stained glass steeples. The organ player had a PhD in organ. It's a lovely music. Guy wore gowns. Actually would climb up the, the little stairs every Sunday. And one Sunday that the pastor opened, not the Bible, but a Charlie Brown comic strip. And my parents thought, even though my, my parents weren't saved, they thought, well, if we're going to go to church, we should at least learn about the Bible. And so uh, we, we left that church and there was a, a more conservative uh, evangelical Presbyterian church. That was a new plant. So we went there. I was in middle school. It's the first time I heard the gospel. And that is, uh, I was the first person in my family to become a Christian. And then, uh, then my mom and my siblings, then eventually my dad. And so the Lord has been very kind to us. So in that sphere, growing up um, for the majority of your life, you realize that there's all sorts of um, aspects of discipleship. Because the truth is you're being discipled by something. You are a student, yeah. as you said. Um, it, it, it is a, a noun that's a verb. Um, you're, it's constantly happening to us. Uh, and so there's there's kind of almost three levels of discipleship. There's just passive discipleship where you are you're learning mm -hmm. what you're observing, um, right? That's the caught not taught thing. And then there's intentional discipleship, and then there's formal discipleship. Intentional discipleship being kind of what I want to focus our conversation on today. Um, and then formal being it's an aspect of intentional, but it's 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 either a class, it's um, a specific book study. And so um, when you look at intentional and formal discipleship. Uh, in this course of your life, what was kind of the f the most formative experience you had where you were recognizing, or at least in hindsight, that, hey, this person was really helping me follow Jesus. It was inviting me, yeah. kind of as you said, to, to grow with him. And what did that look like? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I would, you know, before we get to the relational side, I would say the first time I was discipled is the first time as a Christian, I went to Sunday morning worship. So I would say, you know, the, the pinnacle of Christian discipleship it's this new covenantal renewal ceremony that happens every Sunday morning. You look at Matthew 28, make disciples by baptizing them, teaching them. This might be a, you know, a pretty Presbyterian phrase, but we'll call that the ordinary means of grace, word and sacrament. It could also include prayer in there. So, the, the, I mean, I don't want to undermine at all the importance of Sunday morning as a means of making discipleship. Yes. You see the disciples you know, once they get the Great Commission, what do they do? They go and they plant churches, people go to church, that's how disciples are made. And so I just want to make sure that we're on the same page there. I know we are. Uh, no, and that's actually, uh, thank you for saying, when I when I said passive discipleship, I didn't give yeah. an example for that. But that is like, when you come to church on a Sunday, wow. you're yeah. being discipled. Um, and you're participating in it because uh, I would say to um, my kids even, like the other kids that are around you are seeing yep. how you're responding to what's going on and they're noticing that. And so you, uh, that was assumed in it, but I meant to make yep. it explicit. So that was, uh, that was very helpful. That's why I bring, nah, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, this, this highly esteemed <laughs> podcast, but, but beyond that, think yeah, uh, but you are right because there are some churches and I think, especially in the conservative sort of reformed world, there are some churches that would say, yes, Sunday morning is how we make disciples. And that is, that's it. You know, there, there's nothing else. So go to church. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, baptized, Lord's Supper. That's all we need. And yet when you look at the scriptures, it's it's much more more than that. And there's an actual, a, 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 you know, as Bonhoeffer would say, you know, life together. Jesus spent most of his time not taking his disciples to church, but, but just by doing life to, together with them. And so just affirming what you're saying, there, there's a, a, a both and here, not not an either or. And I think actually this is where, you know, parachurch ministries and even campus ministries that aren't tied into church actually have something to teach 
the church because they are so good at sort of this life on life, relational, hanging out, praying, talking, teaching, you know, other younger Christians how to share their faith, how to confess their sins. And so I think this is actually a way where the church in humility can look at some of our parachurch friends and say, you do that part really well. What, 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 what can we learn here? And I, hopefully our parachurch friends would look at us and say, yeah, we, we need to get our disciples to church too. Uh, but I think going back to, to what your, your first question is, when did I feel like I was really intentionally uh, discipled by somebody? So not, not corporate worship. You know, I became a Christian in middle school, you know, had, had a wonderful, I think good experience, but was never intentionally discipled by an older man until my freshman year in college. So when I got to Michigan State, that's, that's where I went. Uh, there was an older guy, and by older, he, I think he was probably 23, 24 at the time. So looking back now as a guy who's almost 40, I think, well, he was pretty young. His name was Jim, and he just, he just took me under his wing. And just said, let's just start doing life together. And so Jim had been married for probably three years at the time. He had uh, a baby at home. And so Jim would have me over for, for dinner. And I got to see how he did family devotionals around the dinner table. I had never seen it before because, you know, my family, they all became Christians later in life. I, I just, I had no category for a husband and a wife praying and talking and confessing sin together before a meal. So that was wonderful. Jim said, hey, it's Friday night. Let's go to the bar line and share Christ with students that are going to the bars. What? You know, I, I just, I, I don't have this experience. Or Jim said, hey, let's go to the Muslim Student Union and try to meet some Muslim friends and try and share Christ. Again, just like. You say join? Not join, uh, uh, join in their conversation. Yes. Okay. Yes. No, okay. we did not join. I'm like, that's intense. That's like <laughs> right, the insider the movement or something. Uh, it was the first time I ever read a theology book. And so, you know, probably like a lot of college students in the early 2000s, we bought Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And it was the first time we read it. And we, we, just, we just did a lot of things together. Uh, a lot of it was intentional, you know, re reading Wayne Grudem together. That was very intentional. But, you know, some of the best moments were just hanging out with him and his wife, Marlena, around the dinner table and just hearing them talk. And, and some of those lessons, even when they got in a little bit of a conflict. And I, at the time, I felt a little awkward that I'm sitting in on their conflict, but really taught me some really good things. You know, sort of those informal moments left just as big an impression. And so I would say my, my freshman year in college with Jim, just sticking by his side for my first two years were just, just, just priceless. Uh, Think back on those memories as my most intentional, formative time of discipleship in my life. So that's really cool because there's uh, an aspect of what makes that form of intentional discipleship work. It sounds redundant, but is the intentionality of there, there's this mindset that I think is still in the Christian church to where uh, your discipleship of Jesus is a private right. matter. Like the way you follow Jesus and what you do and what it looks like in your home even is kind of like this, you know, 1970s, the home is a private place right. and closed off. And what they were doing is they were just uh, opening up their lives in a way where they're saying the lens through which we process things is the gospel. And yeah. so as you're hearing this, you're just hearing what it looks like to actually process things. No one said, here's a class on gospel-based right. conflict resolution, <laughs> but you saw two people wrestle with their weaknesses with the backdrop of what you saw all yeah, of Yeah, because you know, one of the, the best lessons that we can teach a disciple is 
how to repent. And so even when they're sort of open with their, their sin, I mean, that's some of the best discipleship right there, because that, that points people to the blood of Jesus better than anything else. And there's just, there's just a few topics still in the Christian church that just seem especially off limits. So I think specifically at finances, we know that lots of mm-hmm. young couples are struggling with money. And yet many old couples are afraid to talk openly about their own finances. And so one of the things back when I did campus ministry is I would actually bring my my banking statements to the guys I was discipling and say, hey, here's how we spend money. Here's how we budget. I always, you know, sweated a little bit because they could see how I spent my money. And there, there were some, some dumb purchases <laughs> right. on there. But Again, we, we just want to be open books. Uh, it's not a magic formula of going off to seminary and getting an MDiv or a PhD and coming up with a, you know, a 20-week discipleship program. It's just making a commitment to live very intentionally and very openly with younger Christians in every aspect of your life. So really, if you want to do it well, nothing can be off limits. Which I think that's that's a great that's where you see the beauty of God's discipleship, because as you as you're laying out your bank statement, um, I saw I, I got my first bill for direct TV, which <laughs> has been inactive for so many months. But Sunday Ticket just yeah. queued up on it. And so people will see like, OK, here's Tyler spending a hefty chunk to watch the Titans be nine and seven for the fourth straight year. Um, but the benefit of that is, is you're helping them, but it's also it challenging you. Like you're realizing places where where you have to say, is this yeah. glorifying God? Is yeah. this honoring God? Because it's it's not always the most amenable aspects of our life that are most helpful for people. Yeah. It's also where we're weak and honestly yeah. wrestling with that. If, if the uh, so Detroit Lions you, ended up alluded, nine and seven, I would gladly pay for that hefty uh, price, but I'm not so optimistic. <laughs> yeah. um, you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, but the benefit of this question is a lot of times what what we see other people do is remarkably simple in our own in uh, as it affects us as being a disciple. Um, but now as you transition, even going back to what Proverbs says to receive is then to turn and to give. Uh, what does that look like for you when it says to when you're framing, what does discipleship look like in my life when I am actively being the one being intentional to give instead of intentional to receive? Yeah, so it, it was it was easier with, with campus ministry because you have. You know, four years, you can come up with a very clear process. Here's where you look like as a freshman, you know, by God's grace, here's what we would like you to look like as a senior. And so built into that, there's sort of a natural leadership progression. And then you send people out into the world to join other churches and do ministry. And it, it is, I've noticed, and I'd be curious in your thoughts, it's a little bit different in just regular church life where there's not as natural progressions for for leadership for everybody and there's different giftings and you know a lot of our church is going to be hopefully here for more than more than, than four years but i but i do think it's the the intentionality that you would have a vision for a younger christian just to, to grow into christ likeness and to have some kind of plan in the back of your mind for what it's going to take to get to the to the next level i mean i'm not talking about a higher spirituality or anything like this in a lot of ways i think discipleship if our definition of discipleship is to be a more of a student of Jesus, I mean, it's synonymous with sanctification. So all, I mean, discipleship, sanctification, I think they're synonymous terms. And so how can we have intentional methods, but even just an intentional heart to help somebody grow to become more like Jesus? That's going to look, you know, different for, you know, different ages, different people, different backgrounds. Uh, somebody that's raised in the church, their discipleship is going to be very different from, you know, a homeless guy in Detroit, you know, that has a seventh 
great reading level, you know, that just became a, I mean, I mean, there's gonna be all sorts of different factors, but how can we just get the person to the next level? Yeah. And that's where, uh, I love um, the example they give in a book called The Vine Project is what it is, but um, by uh, Matthias Media. And they basically they just put up their, their definition of discipleship as a chart. And it's just uh, a person on one end and glory on <laughs> right. the other. And it goes from right to left. And he says, discipleship is just figuring out what it takes to move one step from the right yeah. to the left. Um, and when you think about that, because it is, it's there's this tension we have with discipleship where we want to gauge yeah. it on something. And the Bible's clear yeah. on fruit, right? Uh, that, that Christians ought to bear fruit. But the interesting thing is when you look at specifically the parable of the talents in Matthew is that uh, the one who you've got the one who produces uh, 500 fold and a hundred fold and 40 fold. And then the one that just dug it and put it in the ground. And what does Jesus say? He says, man, if you would have had this produced like that 40 fold dude, you would have been good. That's not what he says. So if you were just put it in the bank and got an interest, a percentage yeah. on it, that would have been yeah. the true gospel. And, and the point is, is that when Jesus gives the gospel, this, this receipt, this talent that you receive, it will bear fruit, but it looks different yeah. for different people. And God will not go to the person who's getting 2.5% interest on that gospel. Um, be that the, the homeless guy who isn't able to read the Bible, like, um, the 70 year old who sits across the church from him, that God is so incredibly pleased with that. And you might be able yeah. to help him do that by simply saying, what does it actually look like for them to grow? And I think some of the easiest way answers we have for that is to again, look at ourselves and say, what's the easy, what do I yeah. need to grow in? Like to scheme your own holiness allows you to scheme yeah. those around you. So Oasis, you're, you're a pastor, you're working with people all the time. And a lot of times it's hard for us in the ministry to, um, call what we do d discipleship, because it seems like something we're asking people to do, you know, outside of their work hours or things like that. And so if you were to think about, there's a guy in your church, he's 28 years old. He just moved to Detroit. Um, he's got a wife and a kid. And you say, I want to, I don't have time to, um, I don't have a class I want to send him to, but I've got a couple hours a week where I want to disciple this guy. What are some things that you do with that? What would that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I, the heart of it, and I hope anyone who is listening to this podcast would feel excited and freed up to do it, and not like we're just bringing law and duty, and you have to do more. And because I can imagine, you know, some people hear my story of interacting with Jim my freshman year of college, and they just feel crushed, like you know, sharing Christ with Muslims and reading a massive theology. I mean, I I can't do that. And so I think it's a very helpful question to say. For people that aren't like Jim, you know, that are training to be missionaries and going off to, you know, seminary, what, what does that look like? My first bit of advice would just be just start interacting. Just have them over for dinner. Uh, when they come over for dinner, ask a question about their testimony. How did he or she come to know the Lord? Uh, ask about their parents, their siblings, their their current marriage. Ask about what gets them excited in life and just, and just leave it at that. Uh, the next time, mm. open Psalm 1 before dinner and just pray and talk. And then, you know, just sort of gradually build up to it. I don't think it's—I have seen this happen. It's not normally super effective, and it's mostly just awkward. But where somebody will go up to a new visitor at church and will say, Hey, I would like to disciple you. Uh, sure, what? Like, what? Like, I don't, I don't know. So don't, don't be a yeah. weirdo. I'm just here because the cute girl— Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what you're talking about, and— 
just be yeah. a normal, intentional Christian. You might not even have to use that phrase, I'm discipling you until months into the process. The first step is just start being a loving, welcoming, intentional Christian with somebody that's younger than you. Kind of like there's an aspect of discipleship, which is just being Christian yeah. in public yeah. and inviting others yeah. to, to do that. No, that's good. What are some of the more, it's easy, like you said, to either look at what Jim is doing and be like, man, I can't, I don't have time to sit and read a systematic theology with somebody or to actually be doing that. You're having someone over for dinner. They're in your home. You're meeting them for coffee. You kind of just ask, you know, how's your walk with Jesus? The, the cliche line I use all the time. And I think it was in some parody video um, on YouTube, but just yeah. how's your heart? How, there's the simple question. And oftentimes it's cheesy and it's, it's weird, a good question. Yeah. Done. But you have to, yeah, you have somebody who's doing that and they just feel disheartened by what's going on. There's no cataclysmic change. Um, there's no transformative moment of the road to Emmaus with this guy. What hope do you give them and and what joy would you offer them in the program of discipleship, even when it just seems ordinary, mundane, and perhaps even ineffective? Yeah, well, again, this is where I think our Presbyterian phrase is so helpful. The ordinary means of grace. Most of the Christian life is pretty ordinary. It's slowly plodding along. Now, we want to be radical in how we carry out the ordinary means, but most of life is you know, pretty basic. And you wake up, you're faithful. You go to bed, you wake up, you're faithful the next day. And so if that is your experience, just know that the vast majority of Christians, that that, that is just their, their, their experience. And, you know, when I look back on my time with Jim, I should ask him sometime, but again, most of the, the important moments, you know, around the dinner table, when I saw him and his wife get in a little conflict, or when I got to sit by Jim at church on Sunday and I saw him, you know, taking notes in his Bible and what he highlighted, I would kind of peek over. I don't think Jim even realized that he was impacting me in that mm -hmm. moment. And so you probably don't realize the impact that you're having now. And I do think there will be a, a day in glory when we're actually freed from ourselves. And so we could actually look back and celebrate how God used us without getting stuck on ourselves. That day will come. You, you'll see it. That day is not right now. So it might actually be the Lord's mercy to keep your impact hidden because you might get a big head. <laughs> and so just just keep, keep moving forward. Keep plugging along uh, and see what the Lord does. You might be surprised. So if I feel ineffective, you're saying the truth is I'm so effective that I would be caught. <laughs> you might, you might be, yeah. that, that's what I'm going to say when I go home and I'm disheartened. John says I'm just doing so good that I can't handle yeah. my own success. Well, you, you mentioned, uh, but you're, the, uh, uh, I haven't read this book. I'm very familiar with Charles and the Vine. I find it to be wonderfully helpful. I think it's a, a great book for Christians and churches. But, you know, just moving forward on the, the chart, I just think what Paul says, you know, one degree of glory to the next. So if, if your understanding of discipleship is yeah. – there's a college freshman that's at the University of Montana, and I'm going to meet with this student for one year, and I'm going to absolutely change this person into the next Rosaria Butterfield or the next John Piper. That, that's just not really how Christian sanctification works in the first place. It's one little degree of glory at a time. And that, I mean, that change is, is over an entire lifetime. And so likely you're just going to be a little blip. And this bigger story that God's going to use multiple people, multiple churches at multiple times, all fueled by God's grace. And so just have very modest expectations, have humble expectations uh, for what you are called to do. You're called to be a, a humble, faithful, one degree of glory at a time person.
And I think there's there's uh, to have that mindset is actually um, to to bring the entire context of your own discipleship into the splendor of the gospel. Because one thing I encourage our staff with, and you and I have both been in campus ministry, and that's a hard place yeah. to be. There's, there's hard soil and there's active opposition on campus that for some reason, uh, you know, adults in the career world don't respond that way yeah. towards others. Um, but the crazy thing is like when someone comes to church and they worship God in sincerity, if they sing, you know, in Christ alone and they mean it in their heart, that is a miracle that only yeah. God can do. Only God, like that is a transformation that is not possible by any other means. And so there's something I always say is, is everything we're trying to do as a church are only things that yeah. God can do, which means any growth that that individual, any growth that you have is a sign that what you're doing is working. It's not working because of you. It's working because God is mighty. In fact, there's no context suitable for discipleship. You just have a God yeah. who makes disciples. Like it's his power who's going to do it. And he's asking us to show up and be faithful with it. And so in one sense, um, there are people in in scripture who, who uh, I think of Isaiah and just the toil he feels in going and preaching the gospel to people who are doing nothing. And yet God is immensely pleased and he promises yeah. that fruit will come. And it might not be until glory. It might not be until he's in heaven right now reading his his works canonized in all of scripture. <laughs> right. He says, hey, this is yeah. pretty neat <laughs> like, uh, that I got to participate yeah. in this. So that's a great hope for us. I have, uh, you know, um, I have had a, do you a have, few guys that I was very intentional with, thinking back to my campus, Mr. Days, that sadly, you know, have walked away from the Lord or there's some kind of relational friction uh, between him and I. And I, I was pretty devastated. And so I thought, man, I, I want to be a faithful disciple maker. And I want to carry out the Great Commission. And it always brought me a little bit of encouragement that Jesus was the master disciple maker. I mean, if anybody can make disciples, it's Jesus. And Judas betrayed him. And so this is one of the ways that, you know, Jesus as our, 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 our sympathetic high priest. can we can relate to him and he can relate to us as he knows what it's like. And I promise you, no matter how good you are, you're not going to do it like Jesus. And even Jesus had disciples that weren't very effective in the long run, even worse than that. They tried to kill him. So, yeah, and he try, try to kill him. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Things even hard. the good ones left him. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, and yet at the end, he, he calls them. And he commissions the one who denied him three times. Yeah. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And, and as God's church, as whether we are shepherds or whether we are members, um, the call is the same to care for God's people um, by by giving what we've received in the gospel. Uh, well, thanks, John, so much for your time. Um, we are excited to see what God is doing. Excited that you are now a uh, autonomous, incorporated press. Particularized, particularized. Yes, particularized. <laughs> yes. All right, a, a particularized church uh, in your presbytery, uh, and so we uh, we're excited for that. We'll be praying for God's fruit as you guys seek to um, disciple people in your own neighborhoods. So thanks right. for joining. Thanks us for having today. me.